Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Gusto Gold sets up. If you're gonna blitz... Come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. You know, it's the off season, but this is the busy time of year. It doesn't slow down. We've got Super Bowl, Senior Bowl, coaching hires, all kinds of stuff to talk about, and we'll get into as much as we can here on this latest edition of Longhorn Blitz. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing well. How about yourself? Not too shabby on a soggy, soggy day here in Austin, Texas. But, you know, even though the weather's bad outside, the third member of our team always brings some sunshine because he's that kind of positive guy, an introspective type guy. That's why he's a renaissance man, not just here. Uh, on Longhorn Blitz, but on the horn where you can hear him each and every weekday on the broadcast from 1 to 3. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003, spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree whenever that team ring comes back in his possession. Matt and I will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they give you one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program. Number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother, as always. And, always uh, good to get that. Uh, that's an all-star intro, by the way. I get a lot. People compliment me on your intro, and I'm like, it's his intro. I didn't come up with that's it. That's Jeff Isles' intro, and it's like. It is rhythmic. It's, it's very WWE-like, oh, yeah. and that's why people, I think, wrestling fans like it. It's it's a little bit like a wrestling promo. It is, yeah. Like, yeah, Mean Gene Oakland type stuff. There we go. Um, we, uh, not to, we're not going to talk Mean Gene Oakland on this show, uh, but <laughs> I do want to talk, Rod, about something that's near and dear to your heart. I know you are a wrestling fan as, as you guys know if you listen to the yeah. intro we play a little macho man randy savage to bring oh. rod him but rod something that's near and dear to your heart someone who's near and dear to your heart is kyle shanahan one of your best friends in My life dog, shano <clears throat> and he is coaching in the super bowl and trivia question for those of you who might not know there are only two lifetime longhorns hmm. who lettered at texas to go on to coach the super bowl speak one is kyle shanahan speak on it and the other is tom landry that's right <laughs> so yeah Company you keep. Rod, <laughs> I want to get into th- this aspect of Kyle Shanahan, though, because this came up at, at, uh, you know when all the NFL head coaching moves were going on and mm-hmm. nepotism was a big topic of conversation and the Rooney Rule yeah. and what's right and what's wrong. This is true. And the Rooney Rule, there's a lot wrong with the Rooney Rule. Right. Let me let you know that. Correct. Yeah. Uh, but And nepotism does exist. And right. Kyle Shanahan did 
actually benefit from nepotism. But <laughs> Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, the butt is what Williams, I wanted to talk Cardi about. Cardi B size butt. That dude, trust me as a football guy, he's a real deal. Yeah. yeah, he did benefit from nepotism. I'm not saying he didn't. He's like, it's like JFK. JFK benefited yeah. from nepotism, but he was also pretty damn good in his short time as a president. Like, it's one of those things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You get to conspiracy theories and all that, that's different. But I understand, yes, that is a real thing. People in this, obviously, in this world benefit from that, and he did. But, man, he is, he might be one of the best offensive football minds that I've ever been around period like, yeah, it's weird I, he's like he, a, he's a so, he's young head a but he's an old head he's like out of the young minds great young minds he's very rare when you have the combo of yeah. being around a football coach's he's family a, where it's a, you've lived and breathed football he's walking encyclopedia Mo- modern of football. day version of his 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 dad mike shanahan but people people don't talk about the bill walsh uh coaching tree that often but um, I was doing some research, and 16 of the last 21 Super Bowl winning coaches going back to, to 1990 have been from the Bill Walsh or Bill Parcells coaching tree. A lot of them from the Bill Walsh uh, coaching tree. That's Mike Shanahan. And Mike Shanahan may be the most evolved version of the Bill Walsh coaching tree when you go back and look at it. I know it sounds crazy. Andy Reid, and this is crazy. That's because, why they're this, playing each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, and this is why it's weird. Because Andy Reid, I think, if you look at the Bill Walsh coaching tree, he may be the most evolved passing version mm-hmm. of the right. Bill Walsh coaching tree. I don't think there's – Most well-known for it's sure. It's the best passing offense in the NFL, period. And Patrick Mahomes is a big part of that. You look at the kind of the, the kind of the sub the subset you know, version of the Bill Walsh offense, which was Mike Shanahan, which was decided, you know, the zone blocking scheme from, from uh, you know, from Gibbs, that was going to be kind of the, the forefront and that was going to be the feature of the offense. Kyle Shanahan has taken that to the next level, and that's why Mike Shanahan, uh, uh, man, did, did George, did Seaford win two Super Bowls in a row? No, Seifert never won. Okay, so honestly, you could argue that Mike Shanahan is the greatest disciple from the Bill Walsh coaching tree. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because he won he won two in a row, Mm -hmm. which is almost impossible to do in the in the modern day NFL period. Nobody's won three in a row. Seifert can't Seifert got to the Seifert won in eighty nine. They got to the NFC championship game in ninety. Uh, Mike Holmgren came close to back to back with Holmgren. the Packers. Holmgren's one of those because they won in '96. And Andy Reid is from Holmgren's. They tree, won in '96 the and then lost to Mike Shanahan in Denver the following year. Yeah, exactly. So my my point being this: the Super Bowl to me is so intriguing because I think of the Bill Walsh coaching tree. If Bill Walsh was alive today, <laughs> this is the souped up, roided HGH <laughs> version of his passing game with Andy Reid. Right. And if he could, if he <laughs> was going to go toward a running game. It would be this running game for Kyle Shannon, which is the most creative <laughs> running game in the NFL. Some people would say, "What about the Baltimore Ravens?" The Baltimore Ravens needed Lamar Jackson to make their running game running game dynamic. Kyle Shanahan is doing it with Raheem Mostert, a guy yes. who went through what six different NFL teams and so, didn't yeah. get a carry in the regular season. It was a special teams guy, mm-hmm. and now he had what in the NFC title game twenty nine rushes ever. for two hundred twenty rushing yards. All right, but but you know, but everybody's followed the Shanahan running game. We know. Yeah. 
That's always been the Shanahan running oh, yeah. game. Selvin Young Mike was Anderson, a thousand. Yeah. Olandis <laughs> Gary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and then you now know, even like Terrell his, Davis his version the, yeah. of Rathman is a use check, like bringing in Vogue. Check, yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or even uh, Kittles what, is what, Brent Jones what, what or whatever. Is, um, what's Bucky's homeboy? Uh, Howard, uh, Howard Griffith. Griffith. Howard yep. Griffith, who was also in that running game, was a fullback, right? Yep. That's when Shanahan got himself to fullback. You forget, Mike Shanahan didn't win the Super Bowl until he got Howard Griffith, a real fullback. Block for old TD. I remember TD out of nowhere. And I think that's part of Shanahan's obsession with fullbacks, and we can talk about that later. But my point being, that's why I love this matchup. It is the best Bill Walsh running game um, in terms of the disciples and the best Bill Walsh passing game, and they're going up against each other, and it is – it's phenomenal. It's, it's 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 for me. It's football porn. I love it. Yeah. So I want to look at the, the Kyle Shanahan aspect from this. Like you talk about, you talk about the nepotism thing. But like you said, Rod, nepotism just runs rampant in the NFL. Like runs would, rampant would, everywhere. Would Bill Belichick have gotten a shot that early in his career if he wasn't Steve Belichick's son? For his, instance, by the way, Bill Belichick's son is his defensive coordinator. Right. <laughs> also Steve so, Belichick and also mulleted. So, but what I yeah. want to talk to you about with Kyle Shanahan is you talk about, people talk about the nepotism thing, like it, it's bad or whatever, but he grows up in a household with a guy who is a direct descendant from that Bill Walsh coaching tree. Mm-hmm. When Take me back to when you first meet Kyle Shanahan. Do you, does it automatically come through like, wow, the way this guy sees ball, knows ball, talks ball, is just on a different level than everybody I'll else. tell you, strangely enough, uh, you know, the moment comes, obviously, we become very close friends uh, later on, but immediately it's on the Madden. Yeah. The Madden became, I mean, I, I mean, be- between me and Sims and Shanahan and, and Bo Skis and my man Montreal and a lot of other guys, hell, Roy Williams. But the Madden, when we were playing at the time, obviously it's huge. Yeah, they even college football. We played more Madden than we did college football at the time. That's when you start finding out his ability to, uh, like in, in a poker game, figure out your tendencies and weaknesses. And then <laughs> and what you did like. you hear the, bit, uh, <laughs> and, uh, the little <laughs> clip that Sims asked him about film and watching? He was like, man, no. Take this back to Madden. He was like, he'd be going and motioning a guy down and saying, he no, would. the, the game's would. wrong. The bubble's supposed to be there. You're supposed to be blocking the bubble. And he'd get mad, start yelling at kids online, and I'd have to tell him that he's a coach in the yeah. NFL playing Madden. A lot Madden. of, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just thinking about it. yeah, yeah. There, there, there are uh, a lot of times where there are you know things smashed up and broken up because <laughs> they didn't happen the way that Sims or Shanahan thought they were supposed to happen. But I remember even going back to that. Like he is a he's a true football savant. Like he really is. I, I remember the tips him giving me on Madden and all that kind of stuff. It's crazy you mention that. But even now, like okay, so uh, go back to 2016. 2016, only 18 mm-hmm. percent, I believe. the The number is 18 percent. Yeah, it is. It's 18 percent. The number of teams uh, using play action pass at the time is 18% in 2016. Shanahan, who is the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons, is the only offensive coordinator, only guy calling plays in the league using play action pass at least a quarter of the time. 25% with with the Falcons, and they're going to win the Super Bowl, not win the Super Bowl, but play in the Super Bowl and win the MVP with Matt Ryan. And now he was the only one doing that. Now I want to say that. Probably close to half the NFLs using play action pass a quarter of the time. Mm-hmm. Going back to his time with the Atlanta Falcons and probably before that, he's always been top five in pre snap motions and shifts. Like he uses pre snap motion more than anybody else, mm-hmm. a ton. 
All right. He used like 107 or something they he, said yeah, in the last game. There was almost multiple on each Every play is going to tag, you know, whatever, the power. Or the And the outside zone is probably their primary running play. But the outside zone, the power, the count, the trap, he's going to tag something on the backside for that backside defensive end, that backside linebacker, whether it be a bootleg, whether it be the orb motion, whether it be the jet sweep going back the other way. It's going to be something for y'all to think about, and I'm taking another guy away from the box and the numbers in that way. But also he uses uh, leverage and angles, and that's why he, he's obsessed with speed. That's why Raheem Mostert, who is not, and not a Shanahan or a Lynch guy, is actually a Chip Kelly guy. It's why people hate on Chip Kelly, but Chip Kelly changed football forever. People, he, people hate on Chip Kelly, but Chip right. Kelly changed the NFL forever. When Chip Kelly came to the Eagles NFL, he too. was the and, and even Zach Ertz admitted this. He was the guy that ran run pass option RPOs more than anybody else. And it was like, what the hell are we doing? That's why they took the NFL over the, when they originally came in. People got accustomed to it, mm. all right. And Chip Kelly was his own. He was his obviously uh, part of his own downfall, but. RPO, a lot of that is Chip Kelly. And even the Raheem Mostert, he knew a lot of talent. He, there were certain things he was really good at. And Raheem Mostert was a track guy. And you, you look at the matchup between Kansas City and San Francisco. It's actually based on next-gen stats. It's the fastest, basically the two fastest teams in the NFL. They, they track miles per hour based on mm-hmm. ball carriers, rushes, and, 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 and pass, you know, pass catchers. And they have said that Kansas City – their average ball carrier as a rusher or a pass receiver averages 13.36 miles per hour when they get the ball in their hands. The 49ers are right behind them at 13.35. Both of these offenses, Bill, you know, Bill Walsh disciple offenses, they also covered speed. That's going back to Al Davis, right? Al Davis obsessed with speed. That's speed, man, yeah. speed. You can't teach it, right? Speed. But he was right in the sense that you can't teach that. And this is why everybody knows the 49ers are running the outside zone. But when they add pre-stamp motion to it, when you got to think about the play-action pass, and when they also have a true fullback in check and, and, and Kittle, a true tight end that can block, they can actually win the angles battle and still get to the outside schematically because they have more speed than you do to get there. So it is a it's a really fascinating offense that Shanahan has put together, man. And it is based on him using all these cheat codes all throughout, kind of gathering all throughout his you know tenure mm-hmm. as an offensive coordinator. And even with the Houston Texans, he was like that. And, and listen, and the he, Browns. Listen, He's one of the first guys to bring in the air raid, too. And with Robert Griffin. Don't forget that. With RG3, when they went to get RG3, the Shanahan's went down to Art Browns and said, listen, we need the playbook. Mm-hmm. If we're going to draft them this high, we, you got to give us the playbook so that we can adapt it to the NFL. And Art Browns, one of the first people he ever opened up to, was like, all right, this is best for the program. I'll give you the playbook. He <laughs> gave the playbook to the Shanahan's. The Shanahan's one of the first people to open up and truly use the air raid principles in the NFL. And right now the air raid's going mainstream. The, uh, the metaphorical playbook, as we know. The, the metaphorical, yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, like, how do you use this guy? Role, what's, yeah. the, what's the best way to utilize him and weaponize him? Because if you want to run the Veer, we talked about this when Sterling Gilbert was hired. If you want to run the Veer and shoot, there's only – a few guys that you can hire to go get it. Sterling Gilbert, Matt Maddox, Amen. Phil Montgomery, Kendall Bryles, yeah. Art Bryles. If you want to run the legit veer and shoot, those five guys pretty yeah. much you've got to have one of those Because Art Bryles was very clandestine about his version of the air raid. He yeah. didn't want people to know about it, which gave him an advantage. He knew because people couldn't prepare for it. 
because there really was no way to prepare for it. There was nobody outside the circle. Yeah, and I can't wait to just see Shanahan here because he is that type of guy that it seemed like he's obviously been – he's well wise beyond his years when it comes to coaching because there's this whole, you know, group of young coaches that are out there that all of which have had successes to get to a point, but also when they face stuff against Shanahan, a guy that has this almost like – Belichickian encyclopedic lifetime knowledge. Now, there's a reason why that, say, Belichick has been able to go and do things that he can identify on the fly and change an entire game plan and be confident in what he's seeing and assess it and do it in the playoffs. He's done it the last couple years. And to have a young coach, and it sort of just brings me back to, like, thinking about Texas and Tom Herman here, that when you first get your first ability to let your playbook out there but you people get taped then there's that ability to respond and adjust to you and you've seen certain coaches mm-hmm. have struggles but st- not to say that they're bad but like McVay whenever against Shanahan or Lafleur against Shanahan and these guys that he can if you're a really wise football guy like say Belichick yeah. was initially to a Shanahan offense or like the way Shanahan is to these right now it's really cool to see this one young guy sort of feel as if he has that ability, like it's a Neo in the Matrix on the football field. He can see, identify, and call a third and eight trap because I know it's going to work and this is something that's going to go. And yeah. just that confidence and ability to be where he's at at this age, even though he sort of clumped in with those young guys, he sort of is the one that stands out heads above the group because it would, people could call it nepotism. I call it just being like he's advantaged to be in the situation yeah. that you happen to have one of the best coaches in the history of football it's be your dad. Out. And it's the same thing. It's like it's a quarterback. And it's like, wait, you're going to say that's bad? No, this is good. This kid, he's probably doesn't even know how much he's lived and breathed football at the dinner table his whole life. And those type of guys, they're few and far between. So if you can get in the world of getting a competitive advantage to win and having to stay within the rule books doing so, that's one good way to do it. He's an an old soul. We talk about that with Quandre Diggs and the Achos and the Shipleys and the McCoys and – you, know, you live in a household where you eat, sleep, and breathe football, and you can't help it when you know Mike McCarthy recently was brought to tears when he was asked about like his family and getting a job with the Cowboys and how much it meant to his family. He was like, I, my family needs football right now. We need football. I don't even know what the hell he was talking about, but he like, almost <laughs> yeah. started crying. Yeah. But I think the point is your, your, your life starts like to evolve Burrow. around that game. Your, your, your wife becomes a coach's wife and the daughter. It all revolves around that. And so I think, yeah, it is. It, to, to me, there is something to being an old football soul. You grew up. And all football was what you were mm-hmm. immersed in. And that Shanahan, I remember when when Mike Shanahan lost his job with the Denver Broncos, he went and studied under Bill Belichick for that time, between that time and when he got to the Washington racial slurs. People don't know that. He went because he was like, I might as well just go figure out, you know. He's one of the first coaches to go do the Mike McCarthy project and go, all right, let me figure out. Let me just go study coaches while yep. I'm out. I'm just going to go study football, figure out what I've been missing, like how did I, you know, fall off all those kinds of things. And under Belichick, Belichick started to have a true uh, affection for the Shanahan family and Kyle Shanahan. And that's part of why that Jimmy Garoppolo he trade, trade he did. It was, it was partly because he liked Jimmy Garoppolo and he liked the Shanahan clan. He was like, no, 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 I'll give you guys Jimmy Garoppolo. And now, I mean, now he's drafted two quarterbacks who have played in the Super Bowl. Right. How many times has that happened? Very rare. Yeah, I mean, very rarely. <laughs> so when you Rod, when you look at Kyle Shanahan's career as a player at Texas, there's nothing really that stands out in terms of his numbers. Fourteen catches, 127 yards, 
9.1 yards to catch over two him. seasons. Yeah, yeah, Texas was loaded at the receiver position. but And we've, we've talked about, you know, Chris Sims did this. I know you've mentioned this, but is it fair to say Kyle Shanahan also brought kind of that professional approach to the program in terms of this is how you prepare, this is the right way to approach it every day in terms of how you think about ball, how you study ball, how you need to watch film. Yeah, like it's a, it's, it was a great resource to have two guys like that whose mm-hmm. fathers both had accomplished the ultimate pinnacle of football, right, and knew exactly how a, 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 a well-balanced locker room should look, should sound, should feel, you know what I mean, knew how hard teams had to work to, to make it to that ultimate, uh, the apotheosis of the game, it really did help because in those offseason workouts, you can see that Chris Sims, you know, he, he was able to command the, the offseason really, really well, all right, and get the, get the young wide receivers all right, working out here, and we're going to have, a, we're gonna have a, a nighttime throw session here. We're going to do one-on-ones. And it was, it was. I, I gotta tell you, now looking back, it really was well organized. I don't know how. I'm sure now it's really well organized too. But there was before seven on seven was a big thing, right? Yeah. You know what I mean, that's before guys in the off season were getting together all the time. So I, I gotta tell you, I, I do think looking back that it helped. And one thing Shanahan was really a freak about, man. He was, and honestly, not kind of looking back, he was kind of teaching Coach Drake some stuff. Mm-hmm. He was upset. He had, he had these cone drills. He was a wide receivers coach from his. Uh, like, as a player, yeah, like as a boy, well, as a player, and even his infancy. I think you go look okay. back. I think he started out as a wide receiving coach, mm-hmm. and he was a freak about like the 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 details of footwork and the technique and route running. Because the truth yeah, is, the he was a listen, Shanahan and Shanahan be the first to tell you. Listen, I, he wasn't that fast. Yeah. All right, he wasn't. He didn't have freakish. He had he had great hands. We had freakish hands. He had freakish body control. Physically, he was not that gifted, but he had to be a great route runner, and that's where he made his money as being a great route runner. So you talk about a guy that mimicked, mimicked McCaffrey, yeah. Ed McCaffrey in every way. So Another nepotism, go, dude. Thing. It was he basically Football was trying family. to be the next Ed McC- and it was so annoying. That's what Christian because, is because <laughs> yeah, you know I mean exactly. But he was he would basically try to you know how Ed, Ed McCaffrey was a great route runner, but yeah. he would give you all these different fakes just to run a six route, and he really would it would test your technique, it would test your discipline, your eye discipline. He would try to give you all these head fakes and all these crazy things in the footwork, and he was really good at that. And all the wide receivers kind of picked up some of that stuff from him, but that stuff that he took from the highest level when he was out there on the sideline of a training camp watching Ed McCaffrey and uh, you know I mean Rod Smith yeah you Mm -hmm. know I mean all those guys go at it so you talk about it I remember hearing him tell the story about Mm -hmm. him as a ball boy with the 49ers and just like you know he was more concerned about looking good but then he realized I'm on the field with Dion I want to look like Dion but then he was like I am here watching how privileged and how happy he was that he got to be a ball boy and was watching Dion and Rice you know right there on that 914 just all the teams he'd been around, because I mean, you can go back to even before that, whenever it was those Niners taking on the Giants and Belichick and the Youngs, like being that young and around that, that you were able yeah. to accumulate so much that it just makes it become such normal behavior that and when everybody else, it's chaos. And some coaches you can see being overwhelmed. It's like the next plays there. Some of those guys, it's just like they're in the zone. They're in that co- football coaching mode that like very right. few players. And a beautiful irony is that he was on the sideline last time the 49ers won their Super Bowl. Yeah, because he was there with his dad, who yeah. was also the offensive Sport. coordinator when they won the Super yep. Bowl. Ninety four one. Yeah, so with it's Dion. just it, it it's eerie and it's creepy. I'm really happy for him. I'm really proud of him. It is, 
And I, I think the 49ers are going to win. I know I'm a little bit biased, but I think the 49ers are going to win the whole damn thing, too. I think when you got a D-line that's that damn good and you got an offensive yeah. mind as, as freakish as his, I, I think giving him two weeks to prepare is almost unfair to anybody. But on the other side, you got Eric, you got Patrick Mahomes, who is the, probably the most if, – if Bill Walsh could – dream up uh, a fantasy quarterback that has all the features <laughs> that he would want, Bill Walsh would basically right. envision Patrick Mahomes. I think I said it on your show. I think I said it on your show when I was in with yeah. you one time that like people were like, well, how would you describe Patrick Mahomes? Like, well, how, what, what's the comparison? I'm like, really when he's at his best, you kind of take the best parts of Randall Cunningham and the best parts of Steve Young and, Kind of bring them together, and that's Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I, and uh, I, like, I brought up your Randall Cunningham uh, comparison before, and that's that is pretty close. But you're right, then it's it's a little bit more net because he's more accurate than Randall Cunningham. It's basically Aaron Rodgers if he was a better athlete and a it little is. stronger and make, arm. I see people make that statement like honestly, he's a more athletic Aaron Rodgers. It's like, yep, you because Aaron Rodgers was too. the first one that had the cannon <laughs> arm that showed some athleticism because he does he doesn't he doesn't like to run. I think he ran for a 218 yards and 200 make them right 200. In like seventy yards, he barely uh, ran last all year. season. He 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 has eclipsed three hundred yards rushing in his time as a starter. But in the last two playoff games, he's been the leading rusher for the Kansas City Chiefs and has rushed for I think fifty three yards in both yeah. of those. And has been as you watch the games, he's been deadly yes. as a runner. He's basically, if you're tackles. a fantasy guy, he's like Lamar Jackson. Uh, yeah, now. You and we remember that as a Longhorn fan. We're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember that Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes who's a beat you as a dual threat guy, but in the NFL, he hasn't been synthesized that way in Andy Reid's offense, and now he can use that too. I, he's the one guy. He, I can say, he's a category five phenomenon in the NFL and every now and then these guys come about and basically there is no way to defend them. There's no way to defend Randy Moss. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Where you can come up with a, like, well, he's better against zone than he is when you play on man to man, whatever. Yeah, we can throw out all those nuances, but the truth is, there is no way to defend Patrick Mahomes when he's when he's feeling it. Right. And that's what happened to the Texans when they were up 24-0. Yeah. Same thing happened to the Tennessee Titans when they were up 17-7. Even though you got you got two Omega level talents. As well, you got Deshaun Watson up twenty four zero, and you got a uh, Derrick Henry who's the one thing averaging you six and a half yards per carry versus an eight man box. But when Patrick Mahomes in that position, when he gets in the zone, then he makes your talent obsolete because his ceiling is way higher than even. And I and I and trust me, and I love Deshaun Watson. It's crazy to think it. His his ceiling, I think, is higher than Deshaun Watson's yep. ceiling. And his ceiling is higher than the Derrick Henry ceiling. And when he he hits supernova uh level, then basically the game's over. In like four or five drives. He's like Steph Curry, right? In a foot in a yep, basketball game. The game where, in a second. Yeah, like he goes Literally supernova the sport. in four or five drives, and then the Texans were out of the game. They they were they went from up twenty four to down. At halftime, Mahomes' second quarter he went is like to the Curry's zone. third quarter. Yeah, and He's then he did the same thing with Tennessee. Right, Tennessee does the same thing. Like they're up seventeen to seven. They're playing Tennessee football. Derrick Henry's on pace for one hundred and eighty-three yards rushing, and then he goes supernova, three touchdowns and four drives. Even the one they punted, it was a ten-play, thirty-seven-yard drive. He's almost unstoppable, and when he does that, you got to keep up with him. And if you can't keep up with him, mm-hmm. game's over. And it's that's just why what, 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 what we saw Vince Young at Texas. 
It, it, it very yeah. similar. You know, it's very like your your only way to air quotes defend him is we just gotta hope he doesn't have it today. Go and score with him, <laughs> and pray he, you can score with him. Because if, if he's at his best, it's over. It's done. You, you got nothing. You, it's done. You can do. Uh, and that, from Mahomes, honestly, that is that was the case a couple of times. I've seen him struggle, and I got my theories on you know what you could do and all that. But the truth is, when he's on. It, it ain't nothing. You well, when you bring in the tempo that you talk about yeah. and the ability to then quickly erase what could be like a whole half of good football in one quarter, like he yep. did it against the Raiders in the second quarter earlier this year when he threw for four TDs and 300 yards. But when you combine tempo and the ability to have these playmakers like Hill, the or like you brought up speed, yeah. and like it's funny that like we don't even mention the two fastest if you go to next gen players this year for those two teams aren't even Tyreek Hill or Mostert. It's, it's Breida and Mikey, Michael Hardiman. Oh, so, how about they and, good one? It should be up Brita, there too, actually. And Breida yeah. has the fastest yeah. one in all of football, yeah. the Cheetah back there. So it, that, when those are other secondary options, yeah. you have that game-breaking ability on any play. And then, like, you see the footwork of receivers has evolved the game. It's like his toe-drag pass, which was, like, perfect footwork that you could see from a wide receiver now being incorporated into a quarterback where you're playing the run pass option, getting the guy to go, your yeah. whole body's past the line of scrimmage, but you know you can drag your back toe and then just flip it for a touchdown. Those are the type of things that are literally indefensible because you're even evolving the almost indefensible run pass option mm-hmm. style, and it's so perfect for this Super Bowl to go full circle since we talk about Mahomes and Andy Reid being able to identify a talent, trade up, and get him where he did. What's so funny is if we talk about Mahomes' best comparison being somebody like Aaron Rodgers, well, you know who Mahomes replaced is Alex Smith, and Alex Smith was the guy who was taken first overall ahead of Aaron Rodgers in that draft back in 2005. So, yeah. like, to see it go full circle with that those talents and then Andy Reid to pass on from Smith and identify Mahomes when nobody else did and get him to be the starter and build everything around it and be that confident to exactly what Reid deserves because he's always been the forever coordinator, and that's why I love games like this because somebody who gets criticized like Shanahan as being a coordinator because of the Atlanta thing. It's like, well, now you got two of these guys that you've labeled as good coordinators but coaches, and one of them is going to be a champion, so you can't go and throw those type of labels on people. The the Mahomes thing just makes me – we brought up RG3 too in that conversation. When you look at Texas defensively, Rod, in the decade of the 2010s, there's probably not a decade where Texas defenses have faced – better quarterbacks when you add up the Heisman winners and the first round picks because you go RG3 Baker no but Brand, just go chronologically yeah, just right go down the list you start Brandon Whedon yep then there's RG3 yep you got Baker Mayfield in there I'm not going chronologically I'm going all over the place with Baker Mayfield Kyler Murray Patrick Jared Mahomes. Goff Marcus Mariota's in there yeah. Taysom Hill's in there <laughs> yeah no you face Jake Fromm yeah you face the evolution of quarterback play the quarterback renaissance has actually come Right through the forty acres. Yeah, you can't. That's why the irony the of it is right when Matt field. Brown couldn't find a quarterback for all those years. Yet Texas became the quarterback mecca. Not just not just the state of Texas producing more quarterbacks than any other college football program or any other state out there for college football programs or the NFL. But yet the city of Austin became yeah. the quarterback mecca. Like that's why I was like the Shakespearean irony of it all was just. It's unfathomable, and now that all comes to a pinnacle because Patrick Mahomes is the first quarterback in the history of the NFL to actually play for a college football team in the state of Texas and also start a Super Bowl. Right. Because Drew Brees was at Purdue and Nick Foles was at Arizona. 
So they, they yes, they were high school football players in the state of Texas, but they didn't they didn't go all the way through the cycle for for Patrick Mahomes. He played high school football here, played college football here, and now is going to play in the Super Bowl. First time it's happened, but that is because of the air raid. People forget Jimmy Garoppolo is also an air raid quarterback. Yeah, all right. Like this, the, the air raid, the air raid was shoot. basically yeah. how Mummy started. You know, he started basically the genesis of it here when he was a high school coach or something like that. Now it's fully come. To the and I said it's it's going mainstream because now you have the Mm. two quarterbacks, both of them air raid backgrounds. When everybody thought, oh, air raid quarterbacks, they suck. There's no way you can do it. And you got Kyle Shanahan who basically embraced the air raid in 2012 when RG3 came. Andy Reid embraced the air raid when he went to talk to Cliff Kingsbury about picking Patrick Mahomes and called Cliff Kingsbury a genius. <laughs> and now you got, you know, you got, like, I'm Mike, gonna take yeah, it over. right? You got Graham Harrell interviewing with the Philadelphia Eagles, and you got Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, and then Baker Mayfield being drafted really high. Mike Leach, Jared, Jared Goff was a Super Bowl quarterback from the air raid. And I mean, just, it, I could name a ton of different things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. SEC West now has Mike, <laughs> Mike Leach in it, which is the most competitive conference awesome. in college football. The air raid is going mainstream, but the air raid and the the to me the uh, I would say the ascent of Texas quarterbacks that that being an asset and actually being a commodity for the state of Texas that is linked hand in hand that is not a coincidence right that's hand in hand and the Big Twelve also is linked there too because mm-hmm. that air raid is based in the Big Twelve yeah I mean and like we, we've talked about this a lot I mean you know Mike Leach is still running kind of the tried and true version of it but everybody's taking it whether you're talking about Lincoln Riley or mm-hmm. Dana Hogerson. Everybody, even you know Mike Gundy through Hogerson, kind of has his own little spin on it. Yep. And like you said, you know Art Briles, the Veer and Shoot is a is a cousin of the mm-hmm. Air Raid. So I mean, it's yeah, it's it's proliferated this conference, and, and you know now I think you you know I don't want to get too far because we talked a lot about Mike Yurcich a couple podcasts ago, but when you look at now what Texas can do, and you look at Mike Yurcich's background, you know you combine now you take this Tom Herman pro spread offense, the framework of it. You've got a guy that's worked for Mike Gundy, which we know about the air raid influence mm-hmm. on Mike Gundy. Yep. And coming from a staff at Ohio State where Ryan Day basically did the same thing. He basically took that Urban Meyer power spread offense and infused it with you know, his time with Chip Kelly yep. and just kind of put his own spin on it. Like if you look at like what Urban Meyer was doing at Florida and like what Ohio State's done the last two years, it's a totally different offense. I totally agree. I agree with you on that. Yeah. And that's the passing my, game mostly. Right. And that's kind of the, the challenge for Mike Yursich is okay, what basically that's kind of I think what Tom Herman was looking for without really saying it. Like, mm-hmm. okay, can you do for can you do for this offense basically what Ryan Day did for, for Urban Meyer in that Ohio State offense? Yeah, because I think, you know, Dave Aranda's got the job at Baylor, right? And that's an interesting and I you know, you look at the success rate of defensive coaches in the Big Twelve and it hasn't been great. It's Bob Stoops who brought in the air raid initially, right, with Mike Leach and then Mangino. And then there's Gary uh, Gary Patterson, who's had success. But remember, Gary Patterson commits to the air raid with Sonny Comby and also with Doug, Doug Meacham, Doug Meacham yeah. in, in 2014. And then I think, honestly, I do believe R.C. Slocum was kind of a defensive guy. He, had a de- he was both sides of the ball, but I think also he was a defensive guy too. Uh, but my point is, those are the only three coaches that have won the Big 12 that are defensive, that you can even say are defensive coaches. Every other defensive coach has failed miserably. Bo Pelini at Nebraska failed because he brought in Sean freaking Watson and <laughs> Tim Beck. And by the way, Charlie Strong, defensive coach, failed because of the same damn reason. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. He brought in Sean Watson, but hell, Tom Herman brought in Tim Beck. Uh, my point is, like, it is, it, you're right, you got to have in the Big 12 that, that balance 
I think for Tom Herman, you gotta have the the right balance of you know having that that offensive philosophy that can that can win a shootout, but also control a game. And that's what Tom Herman wants. He wants mm-hmm. to control the game. That's one, the, the air raid has a tendency to lose control of the game. It's so extreme that sometimes the rails can go – you can go be going so damn fast, you can go off the tracks. Yeah. And we've seen that happen well, a couple of times Chiefs with the air raid. didn't have a running game for half the season. Yeah, like you can, but that's, just what, that's, that's kind of how the yep. air raid is when it, in its extreme way. And I, I think that's why the Graham Harrell thing for Tom Herman – he was a little reluctant to do it. But I like the middle ground of a guy like Yersich who has background with an air raid. Mm-hmm. So not fully committed to it, but knows the philosophy, knows the concepts. And then he can come in and bring some of that to Texas and bring some of that dynamic passing game to his pro sport. That's, well, that's, that's, that's why I love the Yersich hire because yeah. that's basically Tom Herman. That's exactly what he was looking for. Yeah, the middle ground. Well, to have that knowledge and be well-rounded like that is so big because not always is everything going to work. Well, yeah. it, it, to to your point, we talked about this too. If Tom Herman was going to go in on Graham Harrell, I think Graham Harrell had to be in it with both feet and saying, "Yeah, let's go do this and let's go make this work." Hire my and, guys, and I think do this. I yeah. think when there was started to be the back and forth, not to say that Tom Herman didn't want to hire Graham Harrell, but I think that was maybe for him a little confirmation bias, like, okay, maybe I don't need to do this. Maybe I just need to do what I wanted to do and just find somebody that can take this offense, take the bones of it, to the next and level. I say, hey, here, go evolve it. Go evolve it. I'm give, Exactly. I'm giving you – do it. Do what Shanahan's doing and Andy Reid are doing with the Bill Walsh offense, yeah. with the West Coast offense, right? Take the bare bones concept of this thing and take to the next level what, mm-hmm. what Lincoln Riley has done with the air raid. Like, just do that, but give you your interpretation of it. Right. And I think that's what ultimately he wanted. I think Yersich is that guy. I know I'm actually – Really, really high on your The more and more research and the more removed I am from the hire, the more and more I like it. I'm still waiting on how I feel about the Chris Ash hire, but I'll tell you this. I almost guarantee that Chris Ash will have a good year in his first year. History says he will. History says that he, his best year will be his first year, and he's inheriting very similar, um, a very similar situation and circumstance to Manny Diaz, to Vance Barefoot, and to Todd Orlando. Hell, even Will Muschamp's first year was probably his first, his best year too in two thousand eight. So yeah, it'll be a great year. There'll be a top twenty five, top thirty defense in twenty twenty. I'm gonna black almost guarantee it. History tells you you got a really good chance of being right, Ron. I'm just saying. Is that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. If I'm yeah. wrong, I'll be no. shocked. But the, <laughs> the again, but the year the year such higher. Why I like it so much? He's done that before. Like I said, he did that for Mike Gundy. Mike he Gundy. basically went to Oklahoma yeah. State, and Mike Gundy had got him from Shippensburg. And basically, here, go run this offense. Take, might take, be more stubborn take than, this offense and go evolve. He might be more stubborn than Herman about sticking to his, you know, the fundamental concepts of his offense or whatever it is. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I, I no, I there's this thing. I believe it's gonna work. We got it at the at the other positions though. The Andre Coleman uh, hire, I I I really like, and we'll get into Jay Bulwer here. I'm sure. Here yeah, I wanted to talk a lot about okay. Jay Bulwer this um, week. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked, we hit on Jay Valai last week, and so far, and granted, it's just mostly related to recruiting, but the reviews on Jay Valai and Andre Coleman, nothing but good so far. Andre Coleman, I'm hearing great things about. I, I think you know yeah. if. I think that's kind of, as you go through this process and try to figure out, okay, what was Tom Herman thinking? I think he really had two choices at wide receivers coach. If he couldn't hire Emmett Jones, I think he was completely fine promoting Andre Coleman because he knew why go out and try to interview all these guys when the best candidate is a guy in-house right here. for what you want. And no. like I said, I mean, 
can you take a lot? What can you take from Andre Coleman's background at K State? Like, well, he doesn't have recruiting skills. Well, we know Bill Snyder doesn't value say, yeah, recruiting yeah. in the sense that a lot of other people do, do with the high school recruits. Talent development at K State. They develop talent. <laughs> they, they, they get guys to produce. And you look Andre Coleman's receivers while he was at K State, while he was in charge of that unit. He always had good receivers. And think about it, they don't. The, the passing game is not. You know, what I mean the the bread and butter, the be- the bones of that offense. It's right. always been the running game, and that's what they've been built around. They've always had a Tyler Lockett or somebody like that that can go yeah. go beat you deep yep. and, and can take over a game. And the other thing I like about Andre Coleman is you talk to K State people, and one of the things they'll tell you is he he was one of the guys on that staff that really got after it in recruiting, mm-hmm. even though there wasn't the premium placed on it, at least at the high school level, that other programs in the Big 12 have. So basically Andre Coleman coming to a place like Texas, it's going to elevate everything he does well. And I think with him, Rod, there's just – you talk to enough people, there's just no real weakness yeah, I like that. In terms of Overall, in terms of what yeah. you look across his, the board, uh, Andre people Coleman. think he has great, uh, you know, uh, people skills. Right, that he relates very well. With people relationships matter to him from a recruiting standpoint. I'm with you. I've heard that he's a he's a dog. Not necessarily an ace, because ace means you get him all the time. All right, yet your success rate is really high, and you're getting the top recruiters, top re- recruits. But the, he doesn't do that at K State. But he's a dog. Means he works hard. He grinds at it every day. He enjoys the grind of recruiting, and it is a grind. And also he's a he's a freak about details in uh in technique and about footwork with wide receivers you know route running i was just talking about this with shanahan route running is a craft man you got to cultivate it you got to be really good at it some guys aren't that good at it but i think at at one point every great wide receiver starts to take a, a lot of pride in their route running if if Andre Coleman can start that process earlier for these wide receivers yeah. who always have, who also have freakish ability, man, that can be a huge plus for. Him. There, there are very few guys throughout the history of the game. I mean, and you can, you know, the Randy Mosses, the Des Bryant's that can get by for an extended amount of time at the highest level of football without being great route runners. Yeah, with just. Just based on you're just that much of a physical freak, and you yeah. can you can make a living. Off a lot of, that. of people say that's what happened to Des Bryant. Uh, that Des Bryant's career basically the reason it's been shortchanged because Des Bryant relied almost and the Cowboys who uh-huh. didn't develop talent necessarily that well. Right. Yeah, that they didn't focus that on. Was their best option. Yeah, they didn't focus on him as a route runner, but he was just a freak of nature. And Tony Romo was so great at ball placement. I mean, he was right. unbelievable. Exactly. And that that relationship that's what made Des Bryant elite at the time. But then once the physical you know, the physical ability started to deteriorate, which I'm saying everybody's father time, that like like Jerry Rice, who was still a great hell, I played against Jerry Rice. That's why I practiced against Jerry Rice. But you know what I mean? Like that's, that's how crazy. long Jerry Rice lasted. <laughs> that Rodby, who had a short, minuscule, tiny NFL career, got a chance to practice against Jerry Rice because he was still playing in the league in two thousand was it? Five, I believe. Six when you're done. When I see Broncos. it, everybody's like, yeah, 2005. Well, I mean, it was shows what, why Larry Fitzgerald's still there and right now. Exactly. Larry Fitzgerald going on With 17 Kingsbury seasons. Kingsbury loves at this him. Point, if he talks yeah, about him. He's just, run, he's just a great route run. Yeah. He knows leverage. He knows space. He knows how to to to, to, to judge the, the hips of a defensive back, all those kinds of things. And Dez never learned those subtle nuances, and that's why now – Skills deteriorated, even though he should be on the NFL roster, right? Still somewhere <laughs> collecting checks, you yeah. know what I mean? It's a third wide receiver. He can because he can't create separation. 
because he has no physical skill to do it, but you still should be able to create separation with just your knowledge of the game. All right, and, well, and, and that's, and that's what the older savvy wide receivers they learn. They're like, "Oh no, I'll still get open on mm-hmm. Julian Edelman. Ain't that damn fast? Trust me, he probably wasn't that fast to begin with." You know, and, <laughs> you know and, and this whole conversation he now understands leverage and how to get open and the route concepts. And well, all that's that how stuff. Jerry Rice, Jerry Rice plays for so long. Tim, Tim Brown plays exactly. In his Tim Brown's been 30s. slow forever. He, he was never fast. Five yeah. in his last four years, but he was getting open. Well, and the success of, say, a Desen Romo just is even more indicting of the Cowboys because just yeah. the lack of a framework of any type of scheme ability or just development of a player where you're just like, oh, I ain't got anything to tell Des. That's Desen Romo. He's going to win those battles. And Romo, I mean, if that's yeah, your best yeah. option, he's going to win a 50-50. And, yeah, yeah you can win those and, that way, but it and, also isn't going to develop and, or age well. And yet the 49ers, I'll get this stat, we'll go back to Texas football. The 49ers will be the seventh team in Super Bowl history to reach the Super Bowl and play it without a pass attempt, a pass reception, or a pass rush from a first-round pick. <laughs> well, they one. only had to pass the ball seven <laughs> <Wow>. times last <laughs> game. Not one. Just, you talk about just, uh, just guys, they fine. Like, all right, let's develop this guy. Let's get it going. You know, I don't want to get too far off on this tangent, <laughs> but I was thinking this is, uh, you know, Rod, you know I'm a Cowboys fan. You and I talk Cowboys when we're off air. And I told you one of my biggest fears was they're going to miss that window when when Dak Prescott's on that rookie contract. They're going to miss that window, and now you got to pay him. And and I this morning actually I was thinking about the Forty ers from that standpoint because I was listening to some Dallas radio and I was like, yeah. well, I was like, you know, Forty ers are paying Jimmy Garoppolo market value at the quarterback position, exactly. and yet they're still kind of piecing it together. And lead offense, yeah, yeah, because they're not paying office. anybody else, right? Exactly, they're yeah. Not paying anybody else? All their all their money is invested, or at least big time money, in first round picks on the offensive and defensive lines. Other than that, they got you know they got great it. scouting and great coaching Pretty to much. identify yeah. and put it in. And there you if, go. You, if you can find that, then you'll be set up well. well. I'm glad you know you bring up the Kyle Shanahan thing, and this kind of brings it full circle a little bit. When we talk about you no, know, you something you mentioned, and I had heard you heard you hear variations of stuff like this over the years. But what you said that you know you were talking to Mike Shanahan one time, and he talked about kind of the four pillars of mm-hmm. a championship yep. organization. Yeah, you know, and Rod, go over everybody. What are the four pillars again? It is uh, talent acquisition, talent development. It is culture, and then your some people call it scheme or system, whatever. You decide to build around your football philosophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the uh, yeah, exactly. For the Shanahan's, I think it was a zone blocking scheme was kind of there. Yeah. So I started thinking about that as it relates to this conversation that a lot of people are having as Tom Herman's building this staff, and it's almost like the term five star recruit gets completely overused. It does. Um, The -hmm. term rainmaker recruiter gets way overused. And Do now there's a debate. I don't even know what it is. What is? Yeah, that yeah. Mean? Give me the definition of a rainmaker. Tim Brewster. I like the term. Tim Brewster. So Brewster, the ace, oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, an yeah, ace. Earlier, okay, I yeah. thought of ace. Okay. One yeah. of those type guys. Yeah. Basically, you go into a living room. You by the time you get to the the in home visits in the living room, you got the guy. And every staff's supposed to have one of those guys. Yeah. yeah. And it's one of those deals where you, now the debate is: Well, you know, you need to this program. They need coaches who can develop more than they need guys who can recruit. And my thing is. You need both. You do need both. You need both. You get out like yes. I'm not. We know. We talked for the entirety that we've had this podcast and the various forms yeah. that we've had it. How much talent development? And when you look at Texas in the 2010s, if you're looking at why things went the way they did, Rod, the two things that are probably at the top of the list. Yes, talent development is there. So is talent acquisition. Yeah. 
I agree. Are you getting the right kind of guys? And and I heard Urban Meyer say this. Uh, it was like that one year. Don't matter. That one year between no, his time no. at Florida and Ohio State, where I think he was doing TV for ESPN. I heard him say this, and it's like burning my brain. He said at the end at Florida, they got so consumed with acquiring talent that they forgot about the process of building a team and making sure that talent fits into what they wanted. They forgot do. about character. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of it too. You gotta and, look at that part. It's part of it. Yeah. And I think tech. You know, I'll just give you one example because I had a, 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 an assistant on Mac Brown staff tell me this exact thing. There was a time where they were so consumed trying to find the next line of Swede that they looked around one day and they're like, "Wow, we got a receiver room full of just big slow guys." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the idea. Couldn't see the forest for the trees. And yeah. I, I was thinking about this the other day, but it, the the prototype has always been what was in vogue, and we've learned over time. Like there isn't a next Jordan. You're wasting your time trying to find it. If you look at the way that quarterbacks are built now, it isn't yeah, everybody trying to find next Jones, but everybody was yeah. trying to so. The prototype isn't it. Just try to align whatever your t- team's archetype or whatever you visualize as a strength around it because it's always going to be changing. But they, it's hard and rigid whenever yeah. you're going to every year find Amen. a new group of kids and which ones no. do you get. Amen. And that's a, that's a mark of a good coach. That's why I think Mike Vrabel's a good coach. Oh, yeah. Because you just got to figure out what Tana the Hill. system is. <laughs> yeah, like, all right, what, what, what are my circumstances? What, what's the best system to work? All right, and now let's try to perfect and cultivate that. That's why Belichick's system, what they win by, changes year after year. Sometimes they're running with a damn fullback out there in 21 personnel. Sometimes they're running a 3-4 instead of a 4-3, and everybody else is running a 4-3. Sometimes they're running a double tight end set with Aaron Hernandez and, and Gronk when nobody else is. Like It, it mm-hmm. changes. Like The way the Patriots have won, the reason that they're – to me, the, the dynasty is so compelling because it's never the same. It's always been Every different. time they reach Super Bowl, it's like, it's a different reason. It's like, Went from so the boring defense to sucks this year, and now there's like, yeah, two tight like, ends to all running backs. Yeah, you know A what million birthdays. Yes, it was never the same thing. Like, even, you know, the Bill Walsh and the Bill Parcells teams, they all looked the same. They all were the same. Same fundamental philosophy. He had to had to have that match recipe, and Bill Parcells was almost forceful in his his manner. Like I am going to mold this team to be a Parcells coach team, and they all were the same. Mm-hmm. They all did. None of them needed a great quarterback. Hostetler, Sims, or name some other guy. You know what I mean? Whatever the hell it is, I'll draft Romo. Damn it! it was my, <laughs> I mean, that was it. Parcells. I, I don't need the quarterback to be my guy because we're gonna we're gonna win by the force of will and physicality and all that. Bill Walsh was like, no, no. I need a quarterback. I need my quarterback has got to be Everything. the pinnacle. He is the guy. So every West Coast offense is like quarterback, 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 quarterback. So it, it, it's compelling, but it, it, there's plenty of ways to skin a cat. So I'm with you. When somebody Strength. gets stuck, when a coach gets stuck like Tom Harmon did, I'm like, I don't feel bad for you because I know there's a way to success. You have just – uh, kind of closed your way off and your sight to it because you can't see the forest it's for like the trees. You're, you're too just going yeah, into the wall because to you don't want to use bunch formations or what you whatever you whatever it is you want to name right. You don't want to open up the offense enough, and that's why I don't feel bad for those guys because there's a there's a way to success. I've watched it happen. The Tennessee Titans were doing it a way that the 1970s Miami Dolphins were doing it, and they almost actually mm-hmm. won the AFC title game. They were really close to it. That's a different way. That's you ain't got to win the same way as everybody else. Well, right. and if you think creative. that way, you're going to lose because you aren't being original. Yeah, you're just be innovative. Exactly. A coach is a problem solver. Look at your team and go, all right, we got these four problems. And we solve these four problems, 
We're going to be pretty That's damn why good. I, I was Solve a Greg, Greg Davis problems. apologist that always was, because he was that type you know of I mean? guy. That was, that was maybe my biggest issue with Charlie Strong, and it had to do with the quarterback position. Like early on, like, yeah, I mean, did, may, did Tommy Robinson sell you a bill of goods on the ability to get Max Wittick? Maybe. But how did you look at that quarterback room knowing David Ash's injury history not say, I've got to do something to make sure – we don't just have to hand it to Tyrone Swoops game two and say, here you go, young man. Best of luck to you. Exactly. Which is what ended up happening. Yeah. I would say, and Tom Herman actually has been pretty good about a problem solver. I like yes. him as a problem solver. Yeah. I'm being uber critical here. Last year, he, and he probably noticed this, why he said he needs to back up off of things and let somebody else run the offense. He did not evolve that offense enough to go win games, considering you had a Sam Ellinger. Now we're looking back at the advanced analytics on Sam Ellinger. He was actually even better than we thought this year. You go back and look at the pro football focus stats and rankings about Sam Ellinger. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the country this year. And yeah. it's like, yeah, he looked like that, but not all the time. It's weird. Like if I told you that he was the, the you know, uh, other than Jalen Hurts, and honestly, he was a better passer than Jalen Hurts this year. But yeah. if I told you that he was an elite quarterback this year, most even Longhorn fans would go, nah, I don't know if he was elite. But that's like, I said the same thing about Sam Cosby. You're like, well, Sam Cosby didn't have a great year. Well, you pull up PFF stuff. They've only got him down for, I think, one pressure allowed the whole year. Wow. Exactly. What, what more do you want from your left tackle? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, to me, especially, that's... especially in this day and age where there's a premium across all levels of football now more than ever on edge rushers and pass rushers. quarterback. That's Tom Herman underachieving. And, Matt, uh, you can pull up the, the the football outsiders yeah. numbers. For, when you good. start looking at the Texas offensive line. Really good. Yeah. I think yeah. – Power success rate Top might have 10. been the one thing that was down from 19 to 18. Yeah. I think they were probably a top 15-ish no. power success rate team. No. They were maybe exactly. in like the 50s. But everything else, like. You're 11th in line yards. You're ninth in standard down line yards, passing down line yards. Your 43rd opportunity rate was 11th. Stuff rate was 10th. But your sack rate, but mobile quarterbacks are going to get sacked more because you run. So that's 84th. But that actually is explainable. Power success rate was the only weakness. That was at 91. And I'm watching in the, the Senior Bowl, I'm watching Devin DuVernay, who had one of the Colin greatest Johnson seasons in the history of Texas football for a receiver. And they're like, man, he's having an unbelievable Senior Bowl. This guy's he's awesome. And I'm watching Colin Johnson run routes that I've never seen a run here in Texas, by the way. Never yeah. seen him run that six route. Yeah, the breaking ankles. The breaking in route. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why couldn't he run that route when he's, I don't know, three yards inside the numbers and he runs Bunched in the Senior up Bowl. Inside of and they're like, this is one of the best routes we've ever seen from a young wide here at Senior Bowl. I'm like, well, he didn't run that route at Texas because they only had him running three different routes. If he did that out of the bunch yeah. with Duvernay, that's the best and, route you can you know, find. So I'm, I'm looking at these things. Offensive line play Cosme and you know Sam Ellinger and you know, Duvernay and Colin Johnson, and I'm thinking to myself, have you, have you, by the way, have you looked at, have you looked at Keontae Ingram's numbers? <laughs> you realize Keontae Ingram averaged almost six yards a carry, that's what I'm and that saying. was with that was with three. He had three conference games where he had a total of 15 carries. The West Virginia game where he got hurt, he had two in the OU game and two in the Tech game where Come he was on, hurt. Man. I don't know. Like the more and more I get away from it, I, the more and more of an indictment it is to me on the scheme and the strategy and you know the coaching tactical advantage or lack thereof. Yeah, it's going to be a little tougher next year, but it's exactly. also that thing to learn from because these are the type of things that if we identify them, that's where you either get that coach that does do the things that we're hoping to see and and understands mm. that you can't just pigeonhole yourself into those Is few it, situations what, and run your head. Into you the know, wall. you need to give the offense over to Mike Yersich. 
when at the end of the season you run a bunch formation mm. and you, <laughs> and your guys are like, you know what? Innovative. That was <laughs> that was that was our innovative schematic advantage. It was like it was a bunch formation. Yeah. It wasn't. I mean, you know, you're not reinventing the wheel here. It was a bunch formation. You should have been running Cotton Johnson in a bunch right. formation from 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 week one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's a couple. There's a couple things to that. <clears throat> I, I think that's Tom Herman. We you know we talk, I wrote about after the Baylor game about him needing to really look in the mirror this offseason and decide what needs to change. I'm glad he finally stood up and said what he initially said when he took the job. I don't want to call plays. I don't want to call them from the sideline. I don't like it. Yep. I'm not comfortable. And we talked about Rod. Like that's one of the things. Like there's some head coaches. Like Lincoln Riley's always going to call his own plays. Yep. Kyle Je- Shanahan's always going to call his own plays. Jimbo Fisher's always going to call his own and plays. He, like Shanahan's ca- comfortable calling them from the sideline. He's yes, been he there is. his whole life. Not every coach is Herman. Not in that and type it's, of family. It's, being amen. up in a box. Right. It's that n- really does matter. It's not an indictment against Tom Herman. No, it's not at just all. what it is. I'm saying I appreciate the fact that you've been honest yes. with us. Because like you said, he admitted yeah. that a while ago, and we didn't really. Listen, we're like, ah, you'll deal with it. Get used to it. Yes. And then he was like, no, I really don't like it doing it down here. I prefer to call plays up in the booth. So you're right. And now and he's now, like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to have gonna somebody else that can do that. And you know what? I like it. And this leads me to the Jay Bowler hire. And, and we talked about, like, how could the numbers be good? And you look at the Texas defense over the last five games. Like, it's night and day in terms of production from what the defense was, you know, during that rut where they weren't very good. Yeah. But – Let's shove the Jay Bowler thing for a second. Rod, is it is it easy? Is it just easy to to put it into this box and say Texas succeeded at a very very high level against the worst teams they played on the schedule, against teams they should have beat? No, because LSU's in there. Oh yeah, they did produce against LSU, I know, didn't no, they? No, no. So the LSU game totally. Listen, watching LSU win a national title has totally warped my perception of Texas, and I hate it. Yeah. I hate it. I would have a much more— That was more, a healthy Texas team. It makes some sense. It was, that's well, that's also, all I can and say. Also, no, it and was it's also early, early no in film. the season exactly. before Joe Burrow is is comfortable in that system. And, you know, I think the more reps he got, the more comfortable he got and the better he got. Yeah, and whole 12 team, times in a row. They hard. got better. Yeah. I think we got worse yes. after that game. And we yes. talked about it. We believe you could argue that is the pinnacle for Texas this season. Yeah. And that was the best they played all year. Even the game against Utah, I know that was a great game. You could argue they played better against LSU overall. For sure. To, you know what I mean? Just kind of looking at the like everybody included in all I, phases. I think when you look at the body of work for LSU, Texas had the best chance to beat them out of anybody they played. And Isn't on that crazy? day, Texas looked that so, good that you could play yeah. at a national. That's so, why so we talked about point, the ceiling has yeah. been raised, but it, you need so, to do it every you week. Got, you got well, you got to get better so, at that. So I, your point. Yeah. It, yeah, it would be easy to say, okay, it was feast against the teams they should have beaten, the Texas Techs and the West Virginias yeah. and uh, you know, no, teams like that, and it was famine against you know the Oklahomas Baylor. and the Baylors, but TC. the LSU game kind of yeah. TCU was, but there's TCU in there. Now you're the bowl team. Yeah, that was. Yeah. You got the LSU game that's on the other end, and then Utah at the end of the game. And could have lost Kansas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lost Kansas. those injuries you in the middle did matter. That's why. That's why, and I'm with you. I, I it's really hard to gauge this season because. There are a there are there are like ten to twelve plays Iowa mm-hmm. State included too that you know what I mean those that could have changed the entire dynamic of the Maybe season even the LSU game third and seventeen we talked about that over and over again like yeah. dude third two third seventeen you 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 stopped them there and even Ed Orgeron has admitted that's that was the time that he knew that they were a national title contender also they couldn't stop Sam Ellinger so if they got the ball back hell we couldn't stop them either so they probably would have gone on down on the score dude. 
honestly, LSU probably still wins the national title, but a complete different season for Texas. Right. Just, like, just think about the Kansas game. Like, I know. on that last drive. <laughs> if Devin Duvernay gets tackled in bounds, the game's over, <laughs> yeah. and you lose. No, no if Ellinger just trips. Yeah. yeah. I'm with you, man. I'm with you, brother. I'm with you. So that's, that's why it's it's like, because I'm starting to think, like, ahead, and like, okay, what what should you go as win total? And you start to look for trends, and one of the biggest trends you can look for from one year to the next is one-possession games. Like, how yeah. good were you? Like, what was your luck in one-possession games? And you start to think, okay, well, they lost LSU, and they lost you know, Oklahoma ended up being a one-possession game. Yep. You look at the games they lost, but then you're like, well, and there's a K State game, the one by field goal. There was the Kansas game, Kansas and then the walk up field goal. Yeah. So it's almost like the one possession stuff. It's like it evens out. Yeah. And, and, it does. And that's like when you talk about the feast or famine aspect of it, Rod, special teams to me is like just encapsulates like that feast or famine aspect of this team. When Texas was really good in the kicking game and they were winning field position, like they did against Utah, mm-hmm. they were really, really good. Yeah. But was but it's like they they never got average special teams. Special teams were either awesome or terrible. I agree with that. I think. When you put yourself in this situation for these one possession games, though, it's where that one mistake becomes so much more magnified. So Amen. then you can't be the that type of team. Exactly. So like in those situations, that's where a good team gets away with those things because the margin hasn't been impacted yeah. by it. Exactly. That's and Baylor. you've been able to win, or you can overcome them when you have a transcendent talent like a Vince Young or somebody on a team that then can outweigh those things but then when you're saying oh yeah you perform well you can do well but then we have the obvious glaring issues at certain times and you see how you lose some games and then if you add a few mistakes in there and then those one possession games you aren't there that's how you could easily have a season be six and six instead of being nine and three and it's only inside the few margins on a few things or like even if you don't have depth if you've had a few bus classes and then you have a whole wave of injuries to take out your secondary or your running back corpse at one point of the year and like those are the little things that can ma- be magnified, and you lose those one possession games because you don't have it. But I want to talk about special teams, and, and as Matt said, that's that's one area where one mistake in the kicking game in those Love in those fun. close mm-hmm. games that can swing the difference. And I really think Texas has upgraded at both coordinator positions, offensively and defensively, with Mike Yersich and Chris Ash. Yeah, and to me. You know, Tom Herman initially said he didn't want to like look for a special teams coach. If he got somebody as one of his position coaches that had special teams background, then it was a win. But when I think about this aspect of it, Rod, I look at the depth and the overall talent on this roster in twenty twenty is as good as it's going to be as 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 it's been at Texas in a really long time, mm-hmm. top to bottom. And then I think about Jay Bowler being the special team, like a legit special teams coach. And Coleman Hutzler has a legit special teams background. Yeah. And Andre Coleman has a legit mm-hmm. special teams background. And Tom Herman started his coaching career as a special, special teams, teams coach. Yeah. I think, to me, the Jay Bowler hire is Tom Herman saying, you know what? Yes, it's important. It's obviously important to hire coordinators on both sides of the ball, but we're going to be as good as we possibly can be in that third phase. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I love the Jay Bowler hire as a special teams coordinator because I'm with you. Now you have – and and most special teams coaching staffs are built the way Tom Herman is doing his. By the way, no, it's very rare you find in co- at the college ranks a coach who is the coordinator of special teams, and that's it. Right. You know, usually he's a coordinator of special teams, and he's a position coach of some kind as well. Uh, in the NFL, as getting back to the 49ers, Richard Hightower, who's a lifetime Longhorn, my man Peanut, he is their special teams coordinator, and that's all he does. And honestly, I think college football programs should go to that more. I think special teams deserves its own coach, in addition to somebody who's coaching special. Because honestly, the tight ends, 
they need a coach. You need somebody that can develop talent at tight end. That's a that's Dude, a Jer- that's a that's a critical shoot. critical position right now. When you look at what's there, which you got Cade Brewer going into his senior year, Reese Latow, you Reese Latow, Malcolm Epps moving there, moving there. Oh, at which, least we hope. <laughs> which I, you know, we'll see what that looks yeah, like. Is it going to be a yeah. true tight end, or yeah. you're just going to use him as a big slot, whatever? She got Brayden Lybrock, who is one of the top receiving tight ends in the country. And then Jared Wiley, who, if you're talking about unique guys on the roster, this is a guy that people people behind the curtain were telling me, hey, his body might get to the point where you have to think about moving him to offensive line. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like Those guys have all have really high ceilings of athletic talent, and yet we all agree we wanted more from Cade Brewer, who was the best option at tight end. So I'm not saying Jay Brewer is not a great developer talent. As a matter of fact, Bucky says he's a great football mind. And whether it be running backs or tight ends, because Bucky knows him really well, says that he'll be a great uh, coach there to right. teach that individual position. So aside from that, you know, aside from delegating those those uh, those responsibilities up differently, I like the hire by Jay Bull. Where listen, when you're you're pulling from Oklahoma, the truth is Oklahoma has yeah. dominated this conference <laughs> for the entirety of the since the inception of the conference. They got what thirteen conference titles. It's a lot. Whatever it is, eight different quarterbacks, whatever it is. Way more than Texas. Like Baker Mayfield has as many Big 12 championships as the Texas program does. Yeah, so essentially you're you're, you're stealing one of their best coaches and one of their better coaches to come help you with special teams. So whether they were who was ranked higher in special teams or not, I I like the hire by Jay Bulwer, and I'm with you. I think special teams needs to be a place where Texas should win. This is a great thing. You you're not gonna win the you know the competition and the matchup in every phase every week. Ironically, Texas should win special teams almost every week. Yeah, don't when, you agree with that? No matter no matter who you play, I think, every week almost. I think if you unless if, you bowl game in the college football playoff. I think if you yeah. if you do a couple things, I think if you go all in on Deshaun Jameson as your returner and you just yeah. take him this offseason, like look, you're gonna be our punt return guy, guy and one of our two kickoff return guys. You want to throw. Jake Smith or Jordan Whittington back there to help return kickoffs, whatever. We yeah. know the kickoff return game is getting phased out of the game anyway, so yeah. it's whatever. I would devote resources because Deshaun Jameson's a proven commodity at he's this special. point. Right. You can tell he's special. And if the growth by Bushevsky and Cameron Dicker is what you think it should be, mm-hmm. then you should have the best kicker-punter combo in the conference, if not the best, then you're in the discussion for it. So I think between those three things, elite return guy, potentially elite punter, and potentially elite kicker. Just to cover stuff. Right. Cover and and that's where a lot of your your big skill guys, your running backs, linebackers, DBs. you know, your say those that, that talent pool of safeties you got, all those guys are gonna feel like your kick teams, then yeah, you should be you there's no reason why you should be outside of the top two or three in the conference and special teams. Honestly, for Mac Brown in my years after North Carolina embarrassed us and had three punts blocked. Man, NC State. Yeah, <laughs> NC State. I, I, I be, uh, believe after that, if you go back and look at it, those, the rest of those years, we were probably the best special teams unit every game we played. But that didn't guarantee us win, but I believe we were probably in that phase because we devoted a lot of time to it, and that's when we put started putting a lot of starters on special teams. It was hard to beat Texas on special I believe, teams. I believe since 99, I think the top three programs in non-offensive touchdowns are Texas, K-State, and Virginia Tech. I believe you are correct. And, hell, Oklahoma's got them a, with Shane Beamer, so they got yeah. them a Beamer. For, they, they're playing Beamer ball, too. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> that, you get you yeah, a yeah. Beamer, you got special teams. Yeah, exactly. But uh, as, as, we, as we wind down here, I just want to get back to the recruiting. Well, Snyder, too. Snyder. Yeah. yeah Snyder. And you got Andre Coleman. So. Yeah, Andre Coleman from Snyder. That's Snyder brand of football. 
Kansas State was third in the nation according go. to Football Outsiders. Bowlware in Oklahoma were 21st. Texas was 45th, which I had not paid attention to, mm. but it improved later in the year, so that's good. And unfortunately, they only go back to 2008. I was going to look up your uh, special teams yeah, rankings. Yeah. But because you're I'm an eight-year top man. 25. <laughs> it was number 26 in the nation in 08. It's so. hard to find stats from my days, dude. Trust yeah, because, me, I've tried. But Texas Especially gets there because your punt return game was just analytics. so it's either boom or bust. Like It's either Deshaun Jameson and Brandon Jones running back a 60, 70-yard return yeah. or like – your muffin punts. You got to re- you got to remove the Devin Duvernay, Brandon Jones guys who are leaders on your team. Obviously, some of your best players making boneheaded mistakes on special teams. Yeah. That you cannot have. Right. You know what I mean? And those that happened too much. Oh, and Jake Texas Smith, of course, but he's a freshman. Seven. But that happens too much. You know what I mean? That happened too much this year. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get back to the the talent develop. Like, do you need to develop or do you need to recruit? And the, the fact is, both. You you need to do both. And there's look. If recruiting didn't matter, if it wasn't important, then we wouldn't have recruiting rankings. Yeah. And we wouldn't have a way to judge. And when you look at the college football playoff, we go throughout the BCS era, every national champion has had at least one top five class before they made their it mixed in with a team that made that run. Yeah. It matters. It does matter. Talent matters. Now you have to recruit the right talent. Yeah. You have to recruit talent that fits what you do. Mm-hmm. You have to recruit talent Especially that with you the transfer figure. Portal days. You have to recruit talent that you figure, okay, if we're developing him right, what's his body gonna look like at said position in two or three years? Mm-hmm. You have to project that. And you don't have a lot of information to go on with that. So there's it isn't an exact science, but it's all important. You can't prioritize development over recruiting or vice versa it all matters it all equally matters. and that's why you know that's why coaches are you know they're paid to big bucks and in the guys like Saban and Belichick they are obsessive compulsive personalities and Shanahan is up there too I mean uh, I mean Shanahan used to always joke that they're addictive personalities and you can be addicted to anything you can be mm-hmm. addicted to drugs to porn to football whatever gambling um you know what I mean and he's got to watch his addiction because he's got an addiction to football and I think one of the things that, that the wood shares is our addiction to football. We are addicted to it in a certain sense. We are just addicts. Yeah, and <laughs> we sit around and share all the put, stories of Bud Light yeah, and, and film or cereal but, and video games. Exactly. Um, but, you know, you get that they're upset. And Matt Rule talks about this. They asked ask Matt Rule, like, so where are you going to start with, with the Carolina Panthers? What are you going to do first? What are you going to do first? Like, no, I'm taking the day to day. I'm going to walk in the office and I'm going to start solving problems. Yeah. I'm going to walk in there, I'm going to meet the secretary, I'm going to solve a problem with her, and we're going to move on to the next damn problem and solve it. I'll get to Cam Newton, I'll solve that problem. But that's what coaches do. You you literally are solving problems every day. <laughs> the obsessive compulsive minds, Brady. they are cool. Like uh, Nick Saban won't let, let anything go. Yeah. He's going to solve every problem before he moves on to the next, which is why he's so freaking miserable all the damn time. When he won his and first championship, he requested for everybody to hire everything, and he won on the plane yeah. ride home. He wasn't even celebrating. He wanted he all won- of his demands because he had yeah. the leverage. I got I got stuff I need to do, man. There are problems that need to be handled here. And people are like, oh, we should celebrate. He's like, no, celebrate. No, no, no we got to solve problems. <laughs> like Belichick said, and no Belichick, days off. No days off. Belichick's <laughs> the same way. Like, no, no, no. There are too many issues to be. That's how you want your CEO. Too many problems to be solved. I can't take a day off. I got stuff I got to do. CDC's kind of like that. Yep. CDC's got that kind of obsessive, compulsive. He's like, I always have to do, always have to do. And that's great. Like and that. that's how you want your coach. And honestly, that's why the culture matters, right? So every day you're solving problems about the culture. Maybe it's a pre- the players that are unhappy in the locker room. Maybe they don't like there's something that's going on with the equipment staff. You know what I mean? Maybe it's about the jerseys. I don't know. Maybe it's about the damn Gatorade. Who the, who the hell knows what a teenager is going to be upset about that's going to affect the culture in the locker room when Brendan Eagles is mad at the position coach and he doesn't want to go to practice. Whatever the hell it is. 
You got to solve that. That's your problem. And what it happens to with the with the talent acquisition, right? And the talent development. That's all on you. You got to go there and go like, no, 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 no. We shouldn't recruit that guy. Why, coach? Well, uh, I don't know. I, I, met him, I met him, but I, I don't think he fits well. He's a good guy, but he's not going to fit with what we want. Whatever it is, like that's what you do. Or you go in and say, Raheem Mostert, we're going to cut 90% of this whole entire 49ers roster. But Raheem Mostert, that last Chip Kelly guy, I like him. Why? He's a track guy. We like speed. He's a track guy. I Can't like him. Find I that. looked at this. I liked him. You know what I mean? Those little things, you solve that. And then there's hmm. the issue of you know your your scheme and your system. You got to figure out whether your scheme or your system fits your person. Personnel. Does it fit it? If it doesn't, then change the damn scheme. That's what Joe Joe Brady said. You know, the most important thing that we did was we fit the scheme to the we fit our scheme to our players. We went and, and asked Joe, Joe, what Joe, he Joe does. Burrow said, though this is the same system I ran in high school. Joe Brady basically started asking me what, what we did and what I like to do. We're running some of the same concepts I ran in high school. What are you comfortable and, doing? Yeah, what are you comfortable simple. doing? And it's simple, but this is what co- really good coaches that it solved problems. And that's what Tom Herman didn't do enough of last year. And he's a great problem solver, too, by the way. He's Mensa. He's some meathead, but also Mensa. And he's got to get back to it. That's why he wants to be not he – he doesn't want to be obsessed with offense anymore because you can't solve the problems of a program like Texas when you're focused too much on the damn offense. You can't figure out what's going on in your locker room while your players don't want to go to practice, mm-hmm. all right? You can't figure out why you're getting the players in at top five classes and why they're coming out on the other end, and yet they're not turning into NFL draft picks. You can't solve those problems when you're too – Focused on offense, Especially so in you gotta season. you gotta you gotta step back and go. All right, I can't I can't see the forest for the trees. Let me step back and go see all the the birds eye coaches, all twenty two view of this damn thing. And that's what he wants to do right now. And I respect that about Tom Herman, yeah. so he can be the ultimate problem solver. And that's what Mac Brown was really good at. Mac Brown would step in when he needed to. He's solving he a lot of problems right, here right now. In solve North that problem right here. Let me. Oh, uh, you don't need me, coach. All right, I'm good. Let me go talk to a booster or a donor. You need me right? I'll step in. He, he was a great problem solver. That's why the guy could run for office right. now now and probably went and that's why that's why i think the the further removed we get from it the decision to move on from todd orlando and bring in chris ash i think it was the right move because i think tom yes, herman one thing mac brown was really good at and you know this rod we all know this from having been close to it he was really good at delegating like mm-hmm. I, there's a reason why i hired you to do this job well much champ there's a reason why i hired you to do this job greg davis yep. i shouldn't have to micromanage you I shouldn't have to be over with the quarterbacks every practice period, mm-hmm. knowing you're doing because if if I made the right decision, then I should trust you to go do the job. Yep. I need to go. Maybe I need to go spend this period, you know, with the DBs yep. because so and so having you know, whatever parent, it is. So and so's parents recognize the ball when it's in the air. Well, so let's go see what's up with that. So and so's yep. parents got divorced. I, I want to make sure he's not having a rough if, practice today. Whatever this, that is. Yeah. That's what you do. As that's a coach. what Tom Herman has to yeah, do. Yeah. And it's going to your point that he stepped. It, t- it took him too long to step into Tart Orlando. You yeah. should have been stepping in, going, okay, what's going on, man? What? But like you okay, said during well, the season, it, should we be running the four man front or a three man front? Like, is there a difference here? What the hell? Let me step in. Let me tell you. Listen, I'm an offensive guy. If I was playing you, I'm gonna tell you right now what we would do. But the he was self, too consumed with his offense. He was too consumed with trying to fix mind. the offense. Yeah, and it's like that's yeah. why this offseason yeah. is the perfect time for these things. And at least we've now it was the only and the right decision to get rid of Orlando. But at least it's good it happened because it showed him severing the ties of a personal relationship that we. We've seen at times other coaches be reluctant to do so. So I was just happy. Now, it was really the only thing he should have done and needed to do. But also, it's worth pointing out that it's 
a step in the right direction when he's able to sure. disconnect from those things. But, and then he maybe need to have the real look at himself moment and disconnect maybe from some things that he's emotionally tied to his via scheme or whatever it is, things that he'll have to analyze. And luckily, right now in the offseason, you have time because I could see how during the season, being that the offense wasn't going well, it isn't excusing, just explaining the behavior that you can see how he can get narrow-minded and then it really does affect the program. And he's like, man, I'm my head coach. I'm not doing my job here if I'm this narrowly focused on fixing this one side of the ball. And I think the main thing that this will allow him to do is reconnect with the players. Yeah, exactly. I think I think he's got to do that. I think that that's that, a necessity. Here that other than the, after the what the coordinator hires done, I think that's priority number one for I him agree because with you. we you, look whether whether they're mm-hmm. true whether they're a hundred percent true or not. You've heard way too many stories of Tom Herman walking by players distrust in, in the in the hallway and not recognizing. Yeah. Them. And, and while while that might be out of sight, out of mind for him. It matters to that player. Hey, it's big, man. You you guys know, and I love the fact that he's going to the Hall of Fame, but you guys know I'm a big, I'm a big Jimmy Johnson guy, not just because I'm a Cowboys fan, but I just think he's phenomenal at what he does. Unbelievable. And honestly, underrated all-time yeah. great coaching talent. Yes. And there's, Always underrated. was at the peak. Anybody that – if you want to watch a really good Steve. football life, watch the football life. All, yep. all those are good, but the one on Jimmy Johnson I thought was fantastic because a, lot, a large portion of that is him and Bill Belichick on his boat in the keys and and you hear bill belichick saying oh yeah you taught me about that yeah like one like one thing they were talking about drafting players like jim jimmy was talking about he had a list of characteristics and guys he drafted Mm -hmm. and he said number one on the list was hit me over the head with a hammer the next time i take a dumb guy (laughs) and bill belichick said yeah you taught me that and and like jimmy's talking about like charles haley he's like well start asking about charles haley and that's like one of the things i heard people started saying well he's really smart well if he's smart then i can reason with him yep and that's why that whole thing worked out but the one thing that that and I immediately thought about Tom Herman the last time I watched that Jimmy Johnson deal what was this, he he said when Jason Garrett got the job with the Cowboys he said you know the X's and O's don't matter he said your he didn't talk about solving problems he said your job your biggest part of your job is you're the head coach everybody wants you to stroke their ego a little bit he's mm-hmm. like so whether it's that that assistant that's breaking down for the quality control guy that's breaking down film yep. or that practice squad wide receiver that, that doesn't even think you know his name yep. or the cafeteria worker. <laughs> yeah. It's important. Yep. The, the, the importance of you knowing those people and just acknowledging their presence. Oh, Mac it matters. It matters so much more. It matters so much more than those they, X's they and O's. become invested after you show yeah. them that love. That, yeah. After it's you show that cafeteria worker that love, he comes to work 20 minutes earlier that next day. Because it feels he goes, like a family. He feels like, okay, I, I am invested in this team winning. It's it's now he let me know that I'm part of the winning formula, and that's what they say. Uh, I think Tom Herman said this right. He said uh, administrations win championships, right? Yeah. Not just a when team. When he showed up, that's administration. what happened. Yeah, and it, it is, it's, it's crazy happy. how that happens, bro. But it is that is so true. It is so true, man. That's why those guys are ultimate figureheads, and as coaches, they. I think Tom Herman at times. He does not recognize his influence. We know that. That's why he Which will scratch his nether regions when he's on the field. And it's you know, here you go, no, no. And it's not a bad things. I love Tom Herman, but certain, he doesn't understand his influence yet. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. I think right. he's getting there now. He's starting to understand, like, holy people, damn, people care about everything I do and say. Everything. And I, we've told I, like you the double bird. Like, no, I literally have to watch <laughs> yeah, myself until I get in the bedroom with my wife. 
Yes. That's the only time I pretty much can let down my guard and be Tom Herman, whoever the hell I want to be. When, you, but other when than that, you walk through the front door at home and close the door <laughs> behind you, then it's... There might be a Longhorn Network camera there, so you better be well, I mean, ready. Watch you know, out. You know I mean? like, learning from Aaron Hernandez, that's what it, was it, put I him think, in jail. I think he is learning that now. Now all these things are learned. It's kind of learning on the job things for Tom Herman. Yeah, it is. You know, we talked about, too, like, just like his first spring. When we're asking about quarterback reps and whether he like, meant it or not, when he's like, yeah. "Does that do you guys really care about that?" Like, yes, <laughs> we you, we do care about it very much. Texas football the last ten years <laughs> that matters. <laughs> and oddly, no, he's been it in matters. a hole but, as a coordinator, you know, building just, his way up. Just to yeah. relate it to, to like a, on a personal level, like when you talk about bosses and stuff, like when we were doing the podcast over at the other building across town, mm-hmm. nobody knew when I was coming to the building over there. It was just dank and cavernous, and no, yeah, good point. You could, By the time it got to the end, I, yeah. I could have had like a single to mile party every day. Nobody would have known the difference, right? <laughs> Who is that guy? Yeah. When 100%. I come, when I walk through the door here, yeah. when I when I buzz my key card to come in, people know when I'm in the building. Relationships matter more yeah. here. They do, and that that's part of why I came more to local. relationships matter. Yeah, it's yeah, they care about you as a person, and that's at every level. Yeah. Whether you're talking about working at, at a at a nine to five job or Amen. you're on scholarship at the University of Texas. So you're right, getting back to the play. And honestly, that was one of the things we knew that Tom Herman was great at when he first got here. That was part of the uh, not sorry, the Texas Bowl, right? The securing mm-hmm. the bag and he's dancing with the players because we know what he's a players coach. That's why because he's connected to the players. If he has lost some of that. Get back to that because that's what got you here. Yeah. What got you here is the fact that you yeah. put grills in, and you know the players loved you yeah. so much, and you, you know, that you always connected with the players. And people, if they would have mocked that for you kissing players, and you know, mock you for that, that's fine. But if if that's what you, if that's the genuine you, and that's how you approach coaching, go back to that. Don't lose that. No, yeah, don't do you, don't lose that. And what he's got to figure out. Do you know who some of the most vocal supporters of Tom Herman are that will tell you they will go to the end of the earth for Tom Herman? Drive the white Bronco. The, guy, the guys like like Barrett Neal and Chase Clement and Cardell Jones and JT Barrett. They do. Guys are in the quarterback room with him. Yeah, that's true. They love Tom Herman Joe unconditionally. Burrow. Yeah. Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, Joe Burrow is like. You know, he never played for him, but yeah. He Urban Meyer didn't even believe in me. Tom, Herman, Tom Herman did. He loves yeah. Tom Herman. Yeah. But you, that's what I say. Go back. Go, don't and lose that. And then we didn't go, get the turn. I'm with you on that, Joe Jeff. Once you, you figured out your coordinators and all that, now reconnect with what made you. Because I think Ed Orgeron did that in a brilliant way and reconnected with kind of his genuine self-win. You know, he had the USC time mm-hmm. where I'm sure he heard the rumors and reports that, you know, people don't hire you because you talk funny, you know what I mean, and you're Cajun. I'm sure he heard all those stuff, and he heard all the stuff he about, him being, about him being backwards and Cajun. He would never be progressive, and he would never evolve, and yet And his coaching used, style. And his coaching style, all that kind of stuff, and used all that, and now people talk about how much they love, how close— the, uh, you know, close of a network that the LSU team is and how connected he is with the players. But everybody who's been following Edwards Run knows he's always been that way. Well, what, what they wanted for him was him to evolve as a coach, and still he didn't lose, though, what made him special as a coach. What made him special is kind of what you're talking about with Tom Herman. He connects with the players in a way that, that not a lot of coaches can do in that locker room. Yeah, yeah. and it was him, him talking before the – SEC championship game to Tom Rinaldi because he actually did talk about how after losing out on the USC job though he did have to tweak how he treated the players because he had become because he was a players mm-hmm. guy and was yeah, on that 90s coach. you know Miami team and young but as he got to be a head coach he had an, a, a picture in his mind what a head coach should be and he became very stern and became a guy More that was disciplinarian, disciplinarian yeah. and said that he wasn't being himself and the one difference he did he was like if I get the head coach at 
LSU, if they don't I'm make mean. me interim, I'm going to treat every kid as if he's my son and treat him unconditionally. And mm. I haven't heard a coach really talk about it that way because uh, Mag most, did. Yeah, I would but, say Mag did. Mag, that was Mag, one of Max's no, lines. Right. One of Max's lines was like, I'll treat him like he's a son. I'll make sure he graduates from college. Yep. That's no, what I you're want right about kids. that. I just rarely yeah. heard them admit the a way that he would say, I don't care what they do. If they do no, some wrong, I'm going to have them know that I love them each mm -hmm. individually and unconditionally. And it doesn't seem as if like it really aligns with the way football is. But the way humans are, it's perfect. Amen. And if you can get that group of humans in a room to work together for a year that well and enjoy and love each other, I mean, you could see it on the Auburn players coming over after the game whenever he beat them and they just want to go hug the opposing yeah, coach exactly like, that doesn't happen very well, often remember missouri after mac uh sorry after tom herman is doing securing the bag remember literally they say and drew like a company if our coach had done that we'd support him we thought that yep. was cool yeah and they were like we it's didn't think he would, we thought that we want that coach room. To do that. they like people they want to be connected man we're still all humans in the yeah. end i mean yeah. And like you said, I mean, Tom Herman, he's he's done that before in, in his time as a coach, whether mm -hmm. it's been a coordinator or position coach or whatever. He, he's He's got to get back to that. Yeah. No, I agree. I think that's a really good point. Like, Nobody's like, made. Like you said, Matt, you, and Rod, you hit on it too. Like Ed Orgeron heard the, oh, well, you, you know, you talk funny and this, that, and the other, and it kind of helps re kind of refocus you, recenters you. You don't think Tom Herman hears when people say, ah, he's disingenuous he's immature. he's aloof, he's immature. Yeah, he's not – the job is too big for him. Yeah. He knows that. You don't think he hears that? Yeah, and I I, th I hope he does. I yeah. want him to hear it. I don't want him to be in the bubble. Hear that. Oh, he hears it. Because I think and a he, smart person will hear that like at Earth Run, and then they will evolve, and they will just tweak what they need to tweak. Yeah. Shanahan heard this stuff about him, and – you know, the in the Super Bowl in 28, you know, up 28-3 and the collapse and all that. It, it He would not be in the Super Bowl today if he didn't take on all of that criticism when, he, honestly, it was the dark, one of the darkest periods of his life. And he'll tell you that when, you know, that tragic letdown with Atlanta. And then now he's like, no, no, it made him a more aggressive play caller. Now he never lets his foot off the gas. And now Mike McCarthy even talked about one of mm. things he likes about Shanahan is he's, un, he's unrelenting. Yeah. But the reason he's unrelenting is because he learned his lesson. Yeah. He relented at one point and Tom Brady came up and bit him. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, I loved how never we, to him again. we talked about that pet and clip <laughs> last week whenever it started going around. And then he got to not let off the gas against Petten last week. Oh, yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> By the way, he hates Petten. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> he, and he was up 27. Him, but it's hard, he hates a strong word, but that time. At the Cleveland Browns, he, uh, I don't think they're 27 uh, 0 in the first half was a good way to go yeah. does, that angle. Does anybody yeah. ride leave working for the Cleveland Browns and feel better about themselves? <laughs> Exactly. It was like, I, I don't know if it's Mike Penn or just the time with the Browns, period. It's kind of like when you were with the Lions. Like, does anybody. Hey, man, I cherish my time with the Lions. Mary well, Gucci, you got paid. That's different, Also, though. Bill Walsh, disciple. I, I love the, uh, Matt Millen, who, God bless him, is doing well now. Uh, yeah. Matt Millen got you paid. I'd love the guy, too. Hey, man, I love me some Matt Millen, man. I'll never <laughs> complain about Matt Millen getting me paid, baby. <laughs> All right. Maybe we'll have Rod share some Matt Millen stories or whatever. <laughs> As we get close to the draft, we'll have Rod share the uh, – the minicamp story about how when Roy Williams made a one-handed catch and the Lions realized they made a big mistake drafting I should, Charles I, Rogers. I should, I should have been before. in that damn war room drafting for them because I was giving them great uh, draft tidbits about Roy Williams. Well, sure. As we get close to the draft, Rod's got all kinds of good NFL stories that we'll share and we'll get into. But for right now, we're going to go ahead and shut this thing down and do this again next week. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, 
you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049-1019-AM1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B on the Rodcast each and every weekday from 1 to 3. Shameless plug. Thanks to Matt, you can find our classic interviews, classic shows, all of our archives are on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, type in Longhorn Blitz. And you can search Horn's 24-7 podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Anywhere you get your podcast, you get us, State of Recruiting, and the flagship. Just search Horns 24-7 Podcast. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.